All right, we'll have the Go Ye Kids dismissed. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn once again to the book of James. If you need an outline, wave your hand there. I think Brother Mike have, might have one or two more. And we are James chapter 3. We have been dealing with the fifth command that James has given. His first command was to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The second command was do not err. The third was let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The fourth command was not to have respect of persons. And so now we get to chapter 3 and verse 1. And he tells us to be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And uh, try not to be in charge of everything. Uh, I mean, if, uh, and James goes immediately to illustrations of how we control a horse, uh, a great animal, a very powerful animal with just a bit in its mouth. A great ship is steered with a little helm. And yet, no one can control that little tongue. Only God can keep that thing under control. And uh, the Bible tells us that the things that happen there with that tongue uh, are just, uh, can absolutely be terrible. And, and it goes back to the truth uh, that a lot of things you can survive. But when someone uses their tongue to lash out at you, uh, that is a very hurtful thing. The Bible says, as a Christian, we ought not bless God and curse men, because man was made in the image of God, and we, we need to let God take care of things. You know, so often we get uh, angry. I mean, I, I've heard preachers pray, I... I just wish God would judge the coast and knock them off this country and sink them in the water and we'd be done with half the problems. And uh, the Bible says that's not the way to deal with things, uh, that we need to have a little more sense than that. And then James moves from the issue of the tongue to wisdom. Now, remember, how do you get wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5, Let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And we're going to see these themes that James has brought in and brought up in his book so far. And we're going to see them taken to the next level. And let's just read verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3. Who is a wise man? And endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Meekness of wisdom, excuse me. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But this wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, 
full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, again, the general context of this passage here is back to verse 1 of chapter 3 about this idea of being many masters, of trying to be in charge of everything and being a leader. And and we talked about this. There's a there's a thing, there's natural-born leaders, and then there's everybody who thinks they're natural-born leaders. Uh, there's people who ought to be in charge, and then there's people who think they're in charge. And, and James is warning us, don't be among that second group of people. There is going to be problems. And uh, how in the world do we find out whether we're in charge or not? Well, you just wait until God lets you know, Amen. Um, the simple truth is there, there's a whole lot more place for servants in God's work than there are for leaders. Amen. And, uh, what we have is we have a whole lot of people trying to lead, trying to get things done that shouldn't be trying to do anything. And it brings problems in the church and People talk, and uh, even in a church of our size, if we wanted to delve into the history, and that's not my goal here tonight, we could find people who have been offended and hurt by other people in the church because of this little thing called the tongue. You know, if you're in doubt, just clench your teeth, amen? If your tongue gets in the way... You only bite it once or twice before you learn to keep it inside before you close your teeth. Amen. And we get to um, verse 13 and James says, listen, who is a wise man among you? Who in the church really has true wisdom and knowledge? Here's how you're going to find out. It says, let him tell others what he has done. Is that what it says? No, not if you got a Bible. It says, let him show. I don't know where some of these shirts come from. Somebody gave us a little shirt, and I saw Jason wearing it, and I thought, good night. Who would make a little shirt like this for a little boy? It says, my game does my talking. And I'm sitting here going, good night. And, of course, that's some adult put that on a shirt for a little boy to wear. And uh, the idea is if, if you're really good at some kind of sport, you don't have to tell people how good you are. Uh, somebody put me in tune with a really hilarious video. I don't really promote these things, but they took the NBA Rookie of the Year and dressed him up total makeup as an old man. I mean, they put the bald cap on and the white hair and and the fat belly and the whole thing. And he puts on a pair of sweatpants and goes to one of the ballparks where all of the young people trying to get into the NBA are out there playing and thinking they're real smart stuff. 
And he goes up there, and of course it's all set up, and they're videotaping the whole thing. And and uh, one of the guys acts like he gets hurt, and he says, "Well, my uncle Drew will play." And so they bring in, and he get he gets up there and starts jerking around and missing the ball, misses a couple of shots, and then all of a sudden, this guy that looks like he's about 75 starts dribbling the ball under the legs and behind, and just makes total. Uh, just makes everybody else on the court look totally ridiculous. And, of course, he ought to. He is the rookie of the year, one of the best players in the NBA, and it is hilarious to watch the faces go, what did that old guy just do? Now, here's what James is saying. If you really have true biblical wisdom... Stop talking about it. You don't have to convince anybody. You know, if you have to convince somebody how much you know about the Bible, I'll promise you this, you don't know near as much about it as you think you do. Have you ever met anybody that talks about... You you better be careful. I know karate. I just love it. When somebody says that, I know one thing's for sure. I have absolutely nothing to worry about. There is no danger coming from this person, no matter what they do, because the guys that really know how to do that stuff, they don't say a word. They just look at you kind of funny. Then you know you're in deep, deep trouble. Isn't that the way it is? And James says, listen... In the Christian faith, we're not here to promote ourselves. We're not here to talk about how smart we are or uh, to try to uh, try to lead other people. You see, this is what all the cults do. I remember years ago meeting a guy, and and he started coming to our services, and then. He said, would you and your wife like to come over for dinner? And I said, oh, I, I guess we could do that. And we went over there and found somebody to watch the kids and, and all of the things that needed to be done so that we could do that. And all of a sudden he got out a book and started showing me about some guy who was an evangelist from the 50s that had raised people from the dead and performed all kinds of miracles. And they had a picture of him with a halo of fire around his head and said, now, how did that happen? I said, that's real easy. All I need is a needle and a negative and I can make anything appear. Uh, I said, this is old stuff. I said, this is ridiculous. I said, you're taking my attention and you want me to think about a man who did all of these things in Africa where he could get away with it in the 50s and didn't do a blessed thing over here where people could actually watch what he's doing. I'll tell you, it's the attention on mankind that tells me this is a total crock. Uh, You turn on TBN and what's the guy going to do? He's going to tell you how great a preacher he is. Listen... I'm not going to tell you how great a preacher I am, because I know I'm not a great preacher, but I do preach the world's greatest book. And I make no apologies for that. 
He says, if you really have wisdom, if you really have knowledge, it says, let him show. Now, here's the first question is, who are you trying to show? Other Christians? Uh Uh-uh. How about the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that who we're trying to show? I mean, on Sunday morning, we, we need to work on this as a church. We really do. We sing okay, but we need, we need to be reminded of something. You're, you're not singing for Brother Franz. Uh, you're not singing for me. Uh, we're not singing so that the neighbors could hear us when we sing. When, when we sing, we're supposed to be singing for God. That's why it's called worship. How many of you have ever been convicted as you look at the words in those songs and say, you know, this really isn't what's going on in my heart this past week. I I need to... I mean, some of those songs are really convicting. Now, I know some of the songs are not theologically 100% correct. Uh, The angels aren't going to be singing in heaven like victory in Jesus. We're going to be singing in heaven. Amen? But the simple truth of the matter is, we are supposed to show, that means there, there needs to be some record... Uh, of, of proof, something to record, something that's actually going on. And we're supposed to show this to the Lord. A good, it says, let him show out of a good conversation. Now, the word conversation uh, in modern English has been demeaned and, and defined down to a point to where it means one when two people talk at each other. Uh, the word conversation in your King James Bible, as it was translated in the year 1611, had a much broader meaning. It talked about your entire life. And we often accuse people, your walk doesn't match your talk. Well, where do we get that from? Well, we get that from the base word, the original meaning of the word conversation. Not only included what you said, it included what you did. And he says, now listen, I want you, if you're a wise man, let's stand up, not before other Christians in the church to promote yourself. We're going back to the problem of the tongue. Uh, He says, before God, out of a good conversation. Now, This idea out of a good conversation does not mean that you have one thing that you've accomplished in your whole life and you hold that up before everybody that ever walks, uh, talks to you or anything like this. What it means is, how many of you have a photo book of family and friends and things in your life? That's the idea of this passage. You shouldn't be what they call in the music world a one-hit wonder. That's where you do one song, it makes it to the top of the charts, and nobody ever hears from you again. 
God is not into one-hit wonders. He says, I want you to show, out of a good conversation, I want you to be able to open up the pages of your life and turn from page to page and show that God has given you a good conversation. You know what that means? you got to work on it every day. That there ought to be something every day that God would be pleased with. And you know what happens when we face God with our lives and how we live? You know what the first thing that ought to happen is humility. Um, Solomon put it this way in the book of Proverbs. He called it the fear of the Lord. That's not meaning that I sit in my seat and just quake at the idea of the Lord. It's the fact that I understand that no matter what I do and how I live, I have not measured up to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's giving us the picture between true wisdom and false wisdom. He says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, I want you to notice that uh, I even misread it the first time when, when I read it out loud tonight. And, and I imagine that we do this quite often. It's not meekness and wisdom. It's meekness of wisdom. You know what that's saying? It's saying that I'm supposed to open the photo book of my life before the Lord Jesus Christ and show out of that, have some pictures in there, something that can be recorded and written down. Good works. How? With. I'm sorry, with meekness of wisdom. Good works with meekness of wisdom. You know, good works without meekness is pride. You ever met somebody trying to earn their way to heaven? I knew a lady one time, she told me straight out, she said, listen, I don't know what that preacher's got a problem with. If my works aren't good enough, tough. And I'm sitting there going, whoa. Uh, It's not going to be tough for God, lady. It's going to be tough for you. You see, my good works need meekness of wisdom. What is meekness? Okay, let's... Take the minute. I hope you don't mind the repetition here because we miss this. Uh, the meekest man in the Bible? Moses. The Bible says he is meek above all men that lived on the earth. Now, Moses was being meek when he stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, Let my people go. Moses was being meek. When he lifted up his rod and the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel went through, Moses was being meek 
when he pulled down that rod and the waves caved in and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. You know why? Because Moses wasn't taking personal offense. Moses was operating under the authority of God. Moses wasn't in the equation. He was just there. He was God's messenger. True biblical meekness is operating under the authority of another. Now, it is too easy for us to try to take God's authority and straighten other people out. Let's go back to being many masters. Let's go back to the tongue being uncontrolled. Let's go back to doing what we think is right, ending up doing what is wrong. That is what this passage is talking about. He said, if you're really wise, if you truly have God's wisdom, then there ought to be something in your life that backs that up. Good works with the meekness of wisdom. That means true biblical wisdom Verse 5 of chapter 1, that God gives us to deal with the trials and, and the diverse temptations of this life, produce obedience to His Word. Those are works. Let's go back to James chapter 2, where it talks about uh, somebody says, I have faith. Uh, James says, listen, don't show me your faith by what you say. Show me your faith by what you do. He's repeating that again here in this idea of true wisdom because there comes a point in the life of every Christian, every person who tries to serve Christ, where we kind of get this idea that somehow God is pleased with us and we're getting something done. And when that starts happening, we're in trouble. we got to slow down. Now, we're not talking about this false berating ourselves constantly and, oh, I'm just, I know I'm just a pile of dirt and nobody. Listen, don't go looking for false compliments that way. That is so ridiculous. What is being said here is taking the picture book of my life, my daily living, and presenting it to God. Comparing it to this book called the Bible. And seeing if there's some things of note that God could take credit for. That's true wisdom. And you know what's going to happen? Is we're going to get on our knees and say, Lord, you need to do more, a greater work in my life because it's not measuring up to your word. That's where we will be every day until Jesus comes and takes us home to be with Him. If we're truly saved, if we allow God's wisdom, it's not a berating of ourselves or a demeaning of ourselves. Hey, I get my self-worth not in what I accomplish. My self-worth is in the fact that Jesus loved me so much that He went to the cross for me. What could make me more valuable than that? That God Himself would send His Son to pay for my sins. He said, but He did that for everybody. Well, yeah, that's what God thinks of everybody. That's what makes me worth something as a person. God thinks something of me. 
But what I accomplish, oh my, that's a different story. I, I need good works with the meekness of wisdom. You see, let's go to the next verse. It says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. How many of you have ever... Well, I just... No matter what I do, it's just not good enough. I, 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 I'm not like so-and-so. Pastor likes them, but he doesn't like... That's envy. And the Bible says if you have it, you're in trouble. Don't think that you have any of this knowledge and this wisdom that God is talking about if that's going on in your heart and mind. If you're putting your eyes and your thoughts on others and thinking of yourself in comparison to others, you better know something It says, glory not. Have you ever met somebody that was so impressed with themselves that you couldn't help them see the truth no matter what you did? I'll tell you, this is what James is talking about here in this passage. And and you don't have to be... uh, 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 what do they call it, eglomaniac or something like that? I mean, uh, you, don't, you don't have to uh, walk around singing that old country song, uh, God made me nearly perfect in every way, to know me is to love me. Um, the, the simple truth of the matter is, it says, If ye have better, bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Now, that's a pretty dark picture, is it not? But when we allow envy, when we start thinking of other people in, in light of... <clears throat> That God blesses them and He's not blessing me, or they have a position that I wish I had, or they're doing something that I wish I could do. The Bible tells us that this is a sensual sensual knowledge or wisdom, that it's actually devilish. If you want a, a shining example of this kind of knowledge and wisdom, Look at Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. What was going on in chapter 4? A guy named Barnabas was of the priest. He heard the story of Jesus and believed on Jesus. He had property on the island of Cyprus. He sold it. He brought everything that he had gained through the sale of that property, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And guess what? He wasn't the only one that had done that. Many people had done that. And you know what they did with the money? They helped other people that were in need. A pervert named Karl Marx read that story in the 1860s and 70s and developed 
communism based on that's what everybody needs to do. Is everybody needs to give everything to the government and then the government can put it out evenly. Well, there's only one catch-22 with communism or socialism or whatever you want to call it, progressivism, is once you give everything to someone else, are they going to get rid of it? Are they going to be good enough to pass it out evenly to everybody else? Those of you that lived in communist countries, you know what happens. Party members first. Now, that's why communism works. And by the way, there's nothing left over for anybody else. You see, you could take everything from all the rich people in the world. If you took all the total income from that 1% that the Wall Street people, or whatever it is, the haters hate, the 1%, you know how long it'd run the government? About a day. Yeah. If you took everything they had. You see, this kind of wisdom is sensual. It thinks about me first. You know what? We, we call it an entitlement mentality. People owe me something. And by the way, you don't have to be poor to think people owe you something. In fact, you can be a very quote-unquote, giving person and allow that mentality to get into your heart and mind. I've given so much, somebody ought to think about me. Let, let me tell you something. This is earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. And it is at the core of what's destroying our society today in which we live. It's at the core of why Churches are not as effective as they ought to be because where we need to be is on our knees before God saying, I need good works in the meekness of wisdom. Not, look what I have accomplished. And we go on to the next verse. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion Now, look at this next phrase. And what's that next word in there? Every. Does that leave anything out? It says every evil work. You mean that can happen in a church? Uh, Yeah. It can happen in a church. If there is people who claim to have wisdom that actually have the wrong kind of wisdom, it will bring evil works right into the church. There are churches that have been destroyed. Individual churches that have let this bitter ending and strife get in. I've heard stories, praise God, I don't have very many to tell about Open Door Bible Baptist Church, but I mean, I've heard stories of where 
a certain group of people come in, they'd sit on this side of the auditorium, and another group would come in, they'd sit on this side of the auditorium, and they wouldn't talk to each other. Now, let me tell you something. If that were going on in church, don't you think something ought to be done about it? It ought to be addressed. You know where we have to address this thing? It has to be addressed in the hearts of the individual believers when it starts happening to you. When you start feeling kind of weird toward somebody else, when you start looking at someone else and thinking that they think they're better than you, hey, the red lights ought to be going off. The uh, the sirens, the spiritual warning buzzers ought to be deafening your ears saying, hey, there is some central devilish wisdom trying to weed its way into my life. And if I allow it, it's going to affect everybody around me. You know, that's the duty of each member of our church. Is to be wary of this kind of stuff. You say, do you think bad things are happening in our church? Listen, I'll tell you what. Just like the human body... At any given moment, you are facing literally hundreds of deadly diseases that are floating around all, all around you. You know what the best thing is? God gave you something called skin to keep them out. And he gave you something called a brain to wash your hands and, and to keep yourself clean. And, and those infections... Don't get in every time you're exposed to them. But when they do, guess what? You can get in an awful lot of trouble. And we need to just take notice as we're going through the Bible. James is a book on practical Christian living that these temptations are here. They are with us. They are right next to us. And you see, the worst part is, it says, but if you have better envy and strife in your hearts, better bitter envying and strife, glory not. You know, that is the first sign that something's wrong when you condone that envious attitude, when you allow that bitterness to remain in you, when you allow that thought that you know isn't charitable to other believers to reside in your mind, the first thing that happens is you start thinking you're better than they are. You see, that's the layers of deception and self-deception. And they build themselves. And that's why James is telling us, listen, glory not, don't. If you start thinking about yourself, you're in trouble. we got to get back to this meekness of wisdom where I'm operating under the authority and the direction of God to the point to where I'm not a part of the equation. You say, can we ever get there as a human being? I don't know that we'll ever be perfect in that. What did God tell Samuel after all those years of serving him? He said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me in asking for a king. 
you know what Samuel was getting from God at that point? He's getting a little shot of the meekness of wisdom. Because Samuel knew it was wrong for the people to want a king. Because God hadn't told Samuel yet. He was the judge. He was the spiritual leader. He was God's prophet. He knew it was wrong. But he started taking it personal. And God says, listen, Samuel, I'm going to save you from a lot of trouble here. It's not personal. It's spiritual. They're rejecting God's leadership. And Samuel got himself out of the equation. And God moved and still continued to use Samuel. You know, old Elijah, Elijah, I'm sorry. Remember when Jezebel looked at him and said, by tomorrow this time you're going to be dead and Old Elijah went running for his life and was hiding in a cave and trying to get away from everybody and everything. And when God showed up, he said, I'm the only one left. Just kill me, God. I'm tired. Well, God said, listen, I'm not ready to kill you yet. But there were no more miracles in Elijah's life until the day he was taken up into heaven. And that was a long time. Poor Elisha had to wait about 16 to 18 years for Elijah to kick off so that he could take his rightful position. You know why? Because Elijah stepped out of the spirit of the meekness of wisdom. It's something we've got to get a hold of, folks. We're not berating anybody here. What we're saying is it's something we have to fight against as long as we're alive as a human being. It's the natural tendency to think of ourselves. It's unnatural to show out of a good conversation good works with the meekness of wisdom. That means that God's really doing it and we're not taking credit for it. We've we've got to ask God for that. Now, we're out of time tonight. I'd hope to get a little further than we did. But the Bible says that if you allow this in, it's going to bring with it confusion. Who's the author of confusion? devil is, 1 Corinthians. And it says, in every evil work. This is, this is dangerous stuff. How many of you have ever had to handle deadly poison on occasion? Or some sulfuric acid or something that is really powerful and can inflict great damage Tell you what, you're careful when you handle it. You, you should follow all the rules. This is something that's around all of us. Sorry, this can't be a cheerful, feel-good message. But I'll tell you what, you'll feel better if you stay out of the bottle of poison. If you don't let it spill on your hands. 
and half kill you instead of all the way kill you. Amen? Praise God, you can't lose your salvation. But you can lose just about everything else. And it happens here before it happens here. It happens here before it happens here. And James is saying, listen, you've got to understand this thing of being many masters, of being in charge, of, uh, of exerting authority, of, of counseling and helping other people is something that is natural to the Christian life. But you better be careful. It's dangerous stuff. You're going to say things that you didn't intend to say. Because you can't control your tongue. Only God can. You know, as you try to help people, you're going to think things and start thinking about how that God used you. That's not meekness of wisdom. That's sensual, devilish wisdom that will destroy you and everybody you touch. It's dangerous. That's why he said the tongue is set on fire of hell. You can't put it out. One illustration will be done. There's a preacher in a town and one of the members of the church took it upon herself to... She thought she saw something, and she took it upon herself to explain it to the people in, those, in the town what she thought she saw. The only problem was she didn't see what she thought she saw. And the reputation and the ministry of the pastor of that church was incredibly affected by the things that she said and the people to whom she said it. And the pastor was finally, after great difficulty, able to trace it all down. And he found the source and knocked on the door and said, Hello. He said, I think we have some things that we need to talk about. And he explained the circumstances. And all of a sudden she realized, Hey, I couldn't be more wrong in what I did. Well, pastor, how do I make right what I've done wrong? he said, I want you to come with me. I'm going to illustrate the point. And he took her up to a, a, a tower there, an observation thing that was in the city. It was a small little town, just a few stories. And he took with him a feather pillow. How many of you have ever seen a down pillow? And he opened it. And he shook the contents out of the window. And he said, ma'am, if you can regather all of those feathers... You can regather the things that you said and the things that you thought. He said, but both you and I know that that is totally impossible. We need to beware. That's why James is putting this in here. Because it happens. You'll catch yourself if you'll make yourself sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If you don't, you'll do these things that are in here. It just happened. Because that's where human nature takes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we're dealing with a difficult and 
Lord, a hard passage. Because it strikes to the very center of our souls and our thoughts and our being. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be one person sitting in here with their eyes in the direction of another person sitting in here. Or maybe not sitting in here. But Lord, that our eyes would be upon our own hearts and our own souls. And Lord, we would strive for the meekness of wisdom to temper our works. That the understanding and the wisdom that we have, it's, it's not ours. It, it comes from you. It comes from your word. It comes from just simply being obedient to the words of God. Lord, we've talked about these things. We've opened your word. And Lord, we know that the devil would just love to get in. And do the very things that we're talking against tonight in in your word. Lord, I ask for a spirit of humility to fall upon each one of us tonight. That we would look to you. And Lord, that we would confess any bitterness and envy that is in our hearts. Lord, if we have strife, that we would bring it to you and ask you to cleanse us from it. Lord, that you would protect this church and its members. That we may serve you. That we may show good works out of a good conversation with the meekness of wisdom. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Before.